0: Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Would you believe that it is the last Thursday of 5780? That's this year coming up to its conclusion. Welcome to our last Fresh Thinking for the year before we go into Rosh Hashanah. I know that everybody's wishing away 2020, but hey, Rosh Hashanah is when Hashem decides the energy for the coming year. This is where we can turn everything around. Huge opportunity at our fingertips. So I'm sure that you are very caught up with your Rosh Hashanah preparations. I'm sure you're very enthusiastic about the opportunity to celebrate Rosh Hashanah in just, what, uh, 30 hours or so? So if you're on board and if you're in the right Rosh Hashanah space... And hopefully you can help me answer this question. It's a simple question, I think. Finish the sentence. Rosh Hashanah is a story of... Of what? What would you say if you had to summarize it in, in one shot? Rosh Hashanah is a story of... Of what? I'd love to hear your thoughts. So the way we interact over here is via text mainly. Once upon a time people used to call in. But uh, via text 34519, that's the number for SMSs. You can use the Telegram app and get us on 0618951019. You can tweet at Chai FM, tweet me directly at Rabbi Shish. If you had to finish the sentence, how would you finish it? Rosh Hashanah is a story of dot, dot, dot. Let's see if we can find the real essence and meaning of what this day is all about. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So yes, uh, if we are going to go into Rosh Hashanah and hopefully get the maximum value out of it, what is it? The story of, I know people will share things like it is the day of judgment. People will say it is a day of newness, opportunity, spirituality, religion, engagement, blowing the shofar, and all of those things would be accurate. And this is not to reject or deny or undermine any of those, but a story. If you had to say it as a story, you would say that Rosh Hashanah is the story of what? Is it the story of our world? That's a possibility. The story of our world, how we came to be. It's supposed to be the anniversary of creation. So perhaps Rosh Hashanah is the story of the universe, the story of the evolution of existence. That's a possibility, Or, you might say, it is the story of Jewish responsibility, because this is the time we're supposed to reflect, especially as we head towards Rosh Hashanah, reflect, be introspective, consider what life is all about, what our level of commitment to God is at. So perhaps you could say that this is a day of introspection. It's a story of introspection. Or you might be one of these eternally optimistic people and you'll say, this is the story of new beginnings, it's the story of, of of chance, of having another chance, the opportunity to move yourself forward. So whatever happened in the year up until this point, well that was last year and now and we're somewhere else and we can have new opportunities. So perhaps that's what you see it as, the opportunity to start afresh the story of starting fresh, Perhaps that's the story of Rosh Hashanah. So I guess if we're telling a story, as it would always make sense to do, we need to go back to the beginning of the story. Where did the beginning of the story of Rosh Hashanah kick off? What was the first incident? Now we do know, obviously, that we're about to shift from 5780 to 5781. So that means that we're moving to a new year. And obviously, that implies if you're counting the years differently, then that means means you're counting from something, right? Something happened. Something happened, and we're counting since then. It's interesting. Like the Talmud, for example, says that there were times in Jewish society where, perhaps not by their own choice, but where we counted years to the uh, beginning of the reign of such and such a monarch. Sometimes, like I say, we didn't have the choice to do that. Sometimes we had to conform to what the expectation was from the leadership at the time, the king at the time, so and so many years to this king's reign. So if you're counting the years from something, that's obviously a very important event. must be something that we would want to know about, something that we would want to commemorate. So what's the story? It's a story that we are looking to commemorate. It's a story that we are looking to uh, revisit on an annual basis because that's how we do it in Judaism. You know, We don't just have things that happened once upon a time and then we just commemorate them. We actually relive them. We, have to, we understand that whatever happened on that original day is what happens again now. So I did ask the question as Rosh Hashanah is the story of dot, dot, dot and was hoping that you would finish the sentence. So, uh, at that musician on Twitter says, it is the story of new beginnings and resolutions, not to mention another hangover. Now, that's interesting. I would never have thought of a hangover in the context of Rosh Hashanah. I'd like to just put that out there for a second. I mean, is there anybody listening who feels that Rosh Hashanah is associated with hangovers? I found that interesting. Maybe if you told me we were talking about Simchas Torah, uh-huh. Okay, I get it. I understand why a person would make the association with hangovers, certainly if it were to be the date of Purim. Rosh Hashanah is not particularly supposed to have to do with drinking. There some people who actually don't have whiskey, vodka, that kind of thing on Rosh Hashanah because it has a sharp, acerbic kind of taste, and Rosh Hashanah is a time for sweet things. Okay, so bring out your cherry liqueur or, <laughs> or some kind of kiddush wine. I guess that is an option. And then some people don't even say lechayim other than, of course, when you say multiple times during the prayers. But at the meal, don't necessarily say lechayim. So, uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's quite something when a person suggests hangovers. But I did kind of anticipate that there would be the suggestion that it's a time for new beginnings and resolutions. New beginnings, of course. It's a new year, a new beginning. Absolutely. And here is uh, at Stamford Hilly, which is quite a cute name also on Twitter, who says, uh, hope, but then puts a whole lot of question marks and exclamation points. So I don't know if that means that this is definitely what I believe or I'm really not sure if this is what I believe. And so i you know, kind of reaching out to say, do you acknowledge what I'm saying? So hope would obviously tie in with the, with the concept of, of new beginnings. The question is, is that a story? If you want to say that it is the symbolism, you could say that, that, that you could say, The symbolism of new beginnings, the opportunity for resolution, 100%. Once you tell me that it is the story of new beginnings, how is that a story? Story is usually something which is, well, I don't want to say it's in the past because the story could be ongoing and that really is the goal, to have an ongoing story that began way back when and reasserts itself every year on Rosh Hashanah. But the question is, what is the story? What is the story that we're supposed to be uh, reading, thinking, um, uh, you know, debating, understanding, appreciating over the course of this Rosh Hashanah? Okay, so that's what we're talking about: story. What is the story of Rosh Hashanah? Um, so no, I don't know. I don't know if I, if I'm really satisfied with saying that the story is the story of hope. Maybe it is. Maybe it is a story of hope. But what's the story? What's the storyline? Who's the? Who are the characters in the story? When did the story begin? How many chapters have there already been in the story? I think that's the kind of thing that we're supposed to look at at this time. And we're a very storytelling nation. Uh, Pesach, which is a story, obviously, the story of our exodus and the birth of our nation, is an ongoing story. We keep telling it, and we don't only tell it on the date of Pesach, we tell it every single day. We're a storytelling nation. We read stories in the Torah portion on a regular basis. We uh, we tell stories in the Talmud. You know, people think that the Talmud is just a legal term, which it is, but it also has many stories. Not to mention, of course, the Midrash, which is chock full of stories. Of course, in the Hasidic world, there's a tremendous emphasis on telling stories. Yeah, so much so that there's even the tongue-in-cheek expression that people use where they say, which means that the, well, the real translation is the deed is the most important. Maise means action. However, the word Maise also means a story. So, the main thing is to tell a good story and a, a story that will touch people, a story that will move people. That's why, by the way, if you look in the Torah, first it tells us stories. Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, then Flood, the Exodus, and only after that it gets into the laws because stories are compelling and stories draw us into an experience and stories wake us and stories re- are relatable and so that's why when a very important date on the calendar emerges, like Rosh Hashanah, we should be asking ourselves the question, what is the story? Because once we understand and appreciate the nature of the story of the day, it will help us to appreciate the opportunity and the expectation of the day. So what is the story of Rosh Hashanah. And yes, people have said new beginnings, and yes, people have said hope, but I don't yet know from that what the story is. Who's the story about? Who do we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah? Obviously, it's a time where we commit ourselves to God. That's a very big part of the experience of Rosh Hashanah, is that it's a day to connect ourselves to God. So, clearly God is a big part of the story, but what is the story? What are we telling? What are we commemorating? And, and what does it teach us about our lives? What does it teach us about ourselves? So that's what I would love to hear from you. I'm sure that there's some people who are really creative in their thinking. You can share your thoughts on 34519. That's if you'd like to use an SMS. If you're uh, into the new technology and you're on the Telegram the Telegram uh, platform, then 0618951019. And of course, the social media people at Chai FM and at Ravashish. On Twitter, what is the story of Rosh Hashanah? This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we're talking about the story of Rosh Hashanah. It is a story of what so far? Um, The suggestions have been, it is a story of hope, it is a story of new beginnings. I'm sure somewhere, someone... Has to say it is the story of creation. I was definitely waiting to hear that because after all, one of the things that we do say in the prayers on Rosh Hashanah is we say, <speaking in Hebrew> which means today is the day of the beginning of your work. God, we're speaking to God. We say this is the day of the beginning of your work. Of course, needless to say, you assume The beginning of the work would be creation of the world. And that's why it's quite interesting what Shlomo Atal made. I don't know if people make up these names uh, with some particular interest. But anyhow, this is is his suggestion. He says, it is the story of the human being and the perception of time. Very interesting. But we'll start with the second part first. The perception of time. It reminds me just a little of if a tree falls in the forest and nobody can hear it. So, If there is a passage of time, but there's no human conscious salient mind to witness it, does that mean that there is not yet time? It's interesting to say this, the perception of time. And why is that relevant? Why is it even important for us to have a perception of time? Why does it make a difference? But the first part that you have said over here, it is the story of the human being. There you go. Bingo, that's exactly what it is. It is the story of the human being. And that's incredibly important for us to think about. Why we celebrate, if you think perhaps it might be a little bit of a chutzpah on our part, if we're talking about the creation of the world 5,781 years ago, surely what we uh, should be looking at is (laughs) not the creation of just us, one part of the human experience. We should surely be talking about uh, the entire human, uh, the entire creation. Creation of the world. Why? Why us? What's so valuable about us? What's so uh, important about us that we dare say, here we are. We are the pinnacle, in a sense. I don't know if we can say that, but we probably do think that. Of creation, we're the the, the you know the ones that deserve to have an entire day on the calendar that is dedicated to us uh, and dedicated to our existence. You know, why? Why us? What did we do? What is so uh, what is so special? What is so unique about us? So that's what we need to focus on, and that's what we need to talk about, and that's what we need to appreciate. And so that's what Rosh Hashanah is, the creation of the first human being. If you look on the calendar, Rosh Hashanah equates to the sixth day of creation, which is the day where Hashem made us. And where Hashem made us, something happened. Something incredibly important happened. That's what we have to focus on when we go into Rosh Hashanah. Because what happened is, if you have a look, there's a verse in Tehillim which effectively paraphrases what happened on that first day of creation. It's where Adam gets up, the first sentient being on the planet. And for that matter, well, I wouldn't say in the universe because there are other sentient beings and they just operate on a completely different wavelength to us. For example, the angels. So... he looks around, Adam looks around, and he says, Wow, there's a world! I mean, you can only imagine what it must have felt like to be Adam on the first day of his existence. <laughs> you can only imagine what he must have felt and what he must have thought. So Adam looks around and he says, Wow, look at this, there's this incredible world, and Hashem has made it, and it's absolutely beautiful, and it's fantastic. And then he says, as the Tehillim paraphrases it, And <laughs> He extends an, an invitation to all the other living creatures in his immediate environment. And he says, come, let us go. Let us bow. Let us prostrate ourselves and let us bless God. That is a shift in the entire nature of creation. Up until that point in time, that had never happened. So, yes, I'm sure that right from the beginning of the existence of birds, they chirped. And they also had some level of recognition of God. There's this idea that we have this, the shira, the song. Of the various kinds of creatures and how in their particular way, whether it's the crickets or the frogs or the birds or the whales, they have their way of acknowledging Hashem's greatness. But it's not with a consciousness like a human being has. And that's the first thing that we brought to the picture. Is we brought the opportunity to be able to consciously recognize God. Not just because you happen to have an impulsive, natural response that you are in, unable to, to avoid, right? It's... Uh, it's it's just, that that's who you are as an animal. That's who you are as an angel. What's unique about a human being is a human being says, let's do this, as opposed to, I'm just doing this because that was, that's what I was wired to do. So something fundamental shifted on Rosh Hashanah, and that's what we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that from that point and on, there was now this opportunity for a conscious mind To acknowledge God. Now, of course, a conscious mind, particularly the human mind, is not necessarily a mind that is always focused as it should be. I mean, I don't know how many humans you know, but certainly the humans that I know, many of us get distracted, many of us have inappropriate intentions and thoughts and, and whatever, So, yes, you can get up as Adam did and you can make this incredible declaration on behalf of the whole of creation and say, thank you, God, for making us. And it's really special and beautiful. But that same mind, an hour or so later, a couple of hours later, can defy God by eating from the forbidden fruit. So, whoa, hang on a second. What are we celebrating exactly when we say this is the day that commemorates the story of the human being? By the way, I'm going with that explanation because it resonates with all of the sources in Judaism that this is the day that celebrates our story, our story, you and I. But you have to pause to think for a second. What is our story? Is our story a magnificent story, an inspiring story? Is it a story of great achievement or is our story... A story of a couple of real serious missteps. Is our story a story of promise and then letdown Is our story a story of failure? Is our story a story of superficiality? What is our story? That's what we are supposed to focus on when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. It's, of course, a day of reflection and a day of dedication and a day of commitment to God. But it's also the day of our story, and we need to own that story and appreciate it and understand it. So what did God see in us that it was useful, it was worthwhile to take the gamble and make us? What does he see in us? And there's a question for you. I'd actually be very interested. If you were fighting the case to defend the human being, and this is an argument that's gone for much of Jewish history, what does God see in us? Uh, Are you going to say that he sees service in us? Well, there are angels and they could service him too. They could praise him and they absolutely do a better job than we do. To be be perfectly honest, so do the ants and the mosquitoes. You know, they are programmed to do a particular thing. They were given a particular task. They do it. They don't argue. They don't uh, misstep. They don't let the team down. If mosquitoes are supposed to go around sucking blood, that's what they do and they do it perfectly well. People, on the other hand, well, you're supposed to do this, yes, I know But today I'm not exactly in the mood, and I'm having a bit of a rough time, and I'm not as spiritually aware as I'm supposed to be, and 101 other reasons, distractions, and excuses, and we don't actually get around to doing it. So what does he see in us? So much so that Hashem was willing to give us the green light, and not only that, but he gave us an instruction in the Torah to say, this is the day that the entire world will be refreshed That the entire world will be judged from top to bottom. That the entire world will move to another year, another anniversary of existence. When? On the day that commemorates the creation of you, of people. What does He see in us? You know, occasionally, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but occasionally you speak to people and they say, you know, I have all the time in the world for animals. Animals are just so sweet. Animals are just so predictable. Animals don't do things to destroy. Animals are not vindictive. Animals don't hold a grudge. People! Oh, that's my issue. My issue is people. And I don't think that's so uncommon. You know, people very often feel that way, especially people who've been on the receiving end of some kind of uh, bad treatment from those in their life. So they turn around and they say, what do I need people for? They're they're just toxic and they, they only cause problems. Somehow it appears that Hashem really sees something in us, people. The question is what? What does he see in us? Let's see. This is interesting because now we've got to defend the human. Defend the value of the human. How would you defend the value of the human? 34519. You can send us an SMS. You can also use the Telegram app on 0618951019 and join the conversation on social media, particularly on Twitter at Chai FM, and at Rabbi Shish. So there we go. Um, Here's Melissa who says Rosh Hashanah is the story of Adam and Eve. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what we're talking about. The fact that it is the anniversary of Adam and Eve. That's the chap. That's exactly what it is. So it's the anniversary of the creation of humans, and that's why we're having this conversation. Rosh Hashanah is a time to reflect, not only on a personal level, although we're supposed to do that too, especially in the run-up to to, to Rosh Hashanah, like today and tomorrow. Get in now and just pause for 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Think over the past year. Wins, losses, what else uh, could we have done differently or better? So, you know... That's the uh, that's the question on the micro level, but I'm asking the question on the macro level, which effectively is: so what's so special about us? What is so great about us? Right? That's what we need to focus on. When I say us. I don't necessarily mean you and me in the singular. It's us in the greater sense, the macro level. What is so great and wonderful about human beings? So, God clearly sees a value in us, so much so that He allowed us to have the date that commemorates the creation of the whole world on the date of our anniversary of people. That's why when we daven, when we pray on Rosh Hashanah, we say, mm-hmm. This is the day that commemorates all of your creation, God. Everything that you made, top to bottom, this is the day that commemorates it. Why? What is so unique? What is so special? about us, that we give this day its meaning. So, of course, that goes back to a core question, and that is, why is there existence in the first place? I mean, God is perfect. God is infinite. God does not need us to exist to, so to speak, exonerate Him or make Him uh, worthwhile, you know, he doesn't need us. So why did he make it? Why did he make all of it? It's a really good question. It's a good question across the board. It's a good question that uh, we should think about regularly, not only necessarily on the, um, not necessarily only on these special occasions like Rosh Hashanah. So why, why does he make a world in the first place? All of the great philosophers. And teachers and spiritual people and mystics of Judaism have attempted in various ways to answer this question. There is one view that says, well, that's because God wanted to be able to display the capacity of his greatness. In other words, what's the point of having greatness if you cannot put it into practice? And others say it's because God is intrinsically kind and the nature of kind beings is to share kindness. So therefore... God wanted to create a forum within which He could share kindness. But what's really interesting, and and certainly Hasidic thought focuses on this particular explanation, is the Midrash, which makes the comment that God had a deep-rooted desire to manifest His infinite greatness in the least likely place, a place of darkness and severe limitations. Now, does that make any sense to you and I? It doesn't have to. Because God doesn't owe us an explanation. And if he chooses to do something that is completely irrational, that's okay. He may well have a rational basis for it, or he may not even have a rational basis for it. Because you have to remember, God is infinite. And the need to be able to justify something rationally is a finite need. doesn't change the fact that this is what he chose to want. He chose to ignore all of those incredibly spiritual beings like the angels, and not present them with his blueprint for life and his operation manual for 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 purpose, i.e. the Torah. He doesn't give it to any of them. He bypasses all of them, comes all the way down here to earth, and says, right, we're going to make people, and then we're going to give those people the responsibility to care for the value and purpose of the whole of existence. And that's why Rosh Hashanah is going to be on the anniversary of their creation. Why? To illustrate that they are the ones who give meaning and purpose to everything else. And that's what we have to know. As we go into Rosh Hashanah, what are we celebrating? Not just the fact that, oh, another year has gone by, and hopefully we've grown through the experience. And yes, a new year is coming, and that's an incredible blessing. And we have fresh start and opportunity and beginning and hope and all the other wonderful things that we tend to associate with this time of the year. Appropriately, I might add, correctly. It's not just that. This is a time to say, whoa, hang on a second. Maybe I just kind of understate my own value. I think I'm just a person, you know, ultimately. One little person on one little planet in one tiny nook of the whole of the universe. What could I possibly contribute? And that is misguided. Because in God's reality, things are not based on how large they are or how loud they are or how spiritually high they are. They are rated purely on whether or not they have been endowed with the opportunity to achieve his purpose or not. So let's go back to the mosquito example. The Talmud says that the reason a mosquito was created before a human being was that we could be humbled and think, Wow, at least the mosquito does what God wants. What about me? So in order for a mosquito to achieve its purpose in existence, all it needs to do is buzz around and suck blood. That's all it needs to do. So it's fairly easy for a mosquito to achieve mosquito nirvana, you know, like to, to achieve mosquito ganedim. It's it's not so difficult. You go, you do what you're supposed to do, you, you don't really have an impulse to do anything else. Our responsibility is completely different. Our responsibility is to take everything that exists, including things that we don't even begin to understand, that we haven't yet accessed, that uh, even the Voyager spacecraft hasn't yet found, Our job is to take all of that and contextualize it, all of that and give it meaning. Like Adam, when he woke up just after having been created, and his first response was, come everybody, let us praise God. That is insightful. That is indicative of what the human experience is intended to be. We're supposed to be the rallying cry to the rest of the world to say, do you know why you're here? Do you know why you exist? There is a reason, there is a purpose And that purpose may appear to be quite inexplicable, but it is the purpose nonetheless. Here, let me take you by the hand. I will guide you to experience that purpose. Come back to that in just a moment. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we're talking about the purpose of human beings because that's what we're supposed to focus on when it comes to Rosh Hashanah. That's why one of the main themes of Rosh Hashanah is that we declare God as King, King of the entire existence, King of the whole universe, so to speak. And uh, that, that's that's because we're, that that's what we're supposed to do. That is our job. That is the goal of being a human and specifically a Jewish person. So what does it mean? What does Hashem want? What was His expectation from all of creation? It's interesting, by the way, that somebody's just responded. Now that Rosh Hashanah is the story of the world's creation, and it isn't. It is not. Decidedly not. We have to be clear on that. It is not the story of the world's creation. That is the 25th of Elul. That happened already at the beginning of this week. Rosh Hashanah is the anniversary of human creation. It is the story of creation's purpose. We are the tellers of that story. We explain to creation why you're here, what you're about. We contextualize. And maybe that sounds a little bit abstract, so we can translate it into terms that we could all relate to. For example, let's say there is something that is part and parcel of this world called money. You may have heard of it. You probably would like to have a little bit more of it. So what is money? What is the context? What is the purpose of money? Why is there money in this world? So everybody will tell you, money makes the world go round, and people will tell you that the purpose of money is that we're supposed to use money in order to live, in order to enjoy life, in order to, you know, those are the things that we're supposed to focus on when we when we have money. Have money, we'll enjoy, right? (laughs) I'm just going to have a great life. We come along and we say, no, no, our job is to tell the story of the purpose of money. Why is there such a thing as money? Why is there such a concept as earning? Why is there such a concept as haves and have nots? So we say, because there's purpose. There's a purpose to it. You have money in order to facilitate your opportunity to bring holiness into the world. That's why there is money. Of course, nobody sees it that way. Don't speak to your average economist and expect that he's going to see eye to eye on this one. But that's the way that we're supposed to contextualize money. Why is there money? Why are there people who have and people who don't? So that we can generate a cycle of kindness in the world, where the people who have can assist and, and give to the people who don't have. That's why there's money in the world. As an example, why is there food in the world in order that we can fuel our systems in order that we could have the energy to be able to do what it is that God wants in the world? Why is there technology in the world in order that we should be able to use technology as a means to, in, to enhance life? To connect people across the world so that they can share information and they can engage with each other and elevate the standard of living and and assist people financially or assist people medically or assist people scientifically or whatever it is that, that technology has to offer us. That rallying cry of Adam on the very first Rosh Hashanah ever in history, Let us bow and prostrate and bless God, is the cry that is supposed to echo in every single one of our lives consistently, consistently, and particularly on Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah is the time we stop and we think, whoa, hang on a second, why is there an existence? What what is the purpose? The purpose is that God had this inexplicable urge to manifest His infinite energy, His infinite revelation, in the least likely spot. Meaning to say, our finite tiny world, or well, to put it into different words. We're actually talking about this a couple of times this week with different groups of people. So it's quite funny when you hear it at first and you don't necessarily appreciate exactly what it means. But here's the expression. It's to generate infinite light in absolute darkness. So now, the minute you hear that, just just pause, unless you're driving. <laughs> if you're driving, don't close your eyes. But if you're listening, just pause for a second. Close your eyes. And try to visualize, what does that mean? Infinite light within absolute darkness. You may have one of a number of different visualizations happening right now. So you may have, for example, a visualization of absolute black and this pinprick of light that just grows larger, 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 larger until it overwhelms all of the black. Infinite light in absolute darkness. Or... You might have the visualization of being in a really dark space, and the next thing there's this mega flash that is so powerful and so intense that it completely blinds you, because that's probably what you would associate with the notion of infinite light. It's something that would totally blind you. It's unlikely. It's unlikely that you would have a picture in your mind of maybe just uh, somebody holding a tiny little lamp surrounded by darkness, because then it doesn't sound like infinite light. The problem is this, that the minute you use the term like infinite, or as we call it in the Kabbalistic language, or ein soif, which means infinite light, so you think of it just as light that has no restriction, nothing that can stop it being intense and bright. So you think, for example, about candlelight has a limit, how bright it could be, how much it could illuminate, Electric light, of course, depending how much electric light you're using, will have maybe more power, more intensity, and able to illuminate a higher or greater area. Think of a lighthouse. But the truth is, if you're using the word infinite, actually what you mean is light without any parameters, which means light without any rules. The rule that light usually operates on is a rule that says if it's going to be light, obviously it cannot be dark at the same time. It certainly cannot be that the darkness will generate light. I mean, that's ludicrous. But dark energy might in fact be more powerful than what we call light energy. And infinite light may, may possibly be light that you don't necessarily see because it's not within visual range, because that would be finite. The eye can see it. It's infinite light, which is divine light, which is a technology that we are completely unaware of, but is very powerful. It's the most powerful possible thing that could exist, may possibly exist within the tiniest space, not altogether unlike nuclear energy. So you think up until the time of the atomic age, we always used to think more stuff, more combustion, more dynamite, more energy. Now we've come to understand that it doesn't necessarily work that way. And the paradox of life is that sometimes the tiniest of things actually contain the greatest energy. Now that's the paradox of scientific life. It certainly is an indicator of the paradox of spiritual life. So I'm here in this world, a human. By far one of the tiniest spiritual characters that will ever exist. Me. There are people who preceded me who are incredible spiritual people. There are angels out there who are way more efficient, capable, insightful, wise, spiritually attuned than I'll ever be. And so naturally I think, oh, more dynamite up there. They've got more power. They've got more connection. They've got more opportunity to manifest godliness in the world. Me? What do I have? I might just uh, hack together a few words of prayer over the course of Rosh Hashanah because I'm not even sure if I'm going to go to shul. And my Hebrew is not that good, so, and I can't really concentrate that long. So what's the best that I can give God? A little bit of a hackneyed opportunity. Yeah, hey, God, Shemad Yisrael. Hashem is one. You think that you've achieved almost nothing. Rosh Hashanah comes along and says, Look, long before humans got onto the scene, there were already these polluted turbo-boosted, really powerful, fancy-schmancy spiritual entities flying around, and it clearly was not what God was looking for, because in spite of their existence, He still insisted on creating us, us, those little tiny beings who can barely get up in the morning, who find it difficult to concentrate for more than two minutes, who get hungry every few hours, who get bored. Yeah, we're, we're, we're tiny. We're, we're really, really limited. And that was his purpose. That infinite light should be found and expressed in the most unlikely place. And there's nowhere less likely than within the experience of human life. That's the celebration of Rosh Hashanah. That is the story of Rosh Hashanah. Not too late to stick in a thought if you have one to share on the subject. 34519 via SMS on Telegram 0618951019. Otherwise, tweet at FM. tweet at Rabbi Shish. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. Shame. I replied on Twitter to the person who said that Rosh Hashanah is the time of a hangover said I feel like this whole year's been a hangover so clearly a lot of people like that <laughs> that responses to that one here's Joseph on Twitter who says that Rosh Hashanah is the story of a new cycle of appointed times with Hashem and renewed hope that this will be the year that Mashiach will come now here's the thing i think i mean i totally agree with this absolutely agree with this Here's the thing. We don't have to wait for Shoshana, for Mashiach to come. I don't know how you're doing. How is your Tov preparation coming along? Because I can tell you, me, lastminute.com. Whoa, is there pressure? The last few days. Trying, okay, this year especially because the rules change every day. What you can do in shul, how many people you can have, where you're going to seat them, what kind of protocol works, what doesn't work. I and mean, we have the protocols. But once you start to actually try and put them into practice, they change. And then, of course, you have the announcement. From the president last night, that everything's going to change for Yom Kippur. So that's also exciting and challenging all at the same time. But we're last minute people. Let's be honest. We're we're all setting up our shuls right now. We're all um, trying to get last minute messages out to people and putting together the last things to say over the course of Rosh Hashanah. And if you're having, if you're well, I suppose this year everybody's hosting pretty much. So maybe now you're quickly scrambling to get some things and decor and ingredients and whatever. So why can't Hashem, why can't God also be last minute? Why do we always have to give the opportunity to say, oh, in the new year, fresh opportunity. God, that's when you'll send Moshiach. Well, what's wrong today? Sorry, I didn't see in any book that says that Moshiach can never come in the last 48 hours of a year or the last 24 hours of a year. No, actually, I think it's a great time. Hashem, take a, no, take a page out of our book. Do the last minute thing. And then we don't have to wait for Rosh Hashanah to pray for Mashiach. We can rather celebrate Rosh Hashanah with Mashiach. I like that tweet a lot. So what's the message for us? What's the take on? What's the story? It's the story of the value of you. That's Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is Hashem's vote of confidence in you. That you have the power to help. Create a better year to come, that you have the power to give the world its purpose and meaning, that you absolutely are capable of full commitment to God, because that really is one of the primary themes of Rosh Hashanah, is that we stand committed to God, you are our king, so that obviously means that we're committed as your servants. And many people say, oh me, I don't know if I could do that, and maybe it's too much of an ask, and I'm not so from, and I'm not so, such a disciplined person and all those other things that we think about ourselves. I don't know, it's an interesting thing, how easy it is for people to think negatively about themselves, how easy it is for us to undermine our own worth. And here God Himself, the Creator, the One who puts everything together, turns to us and says, "Sure, you have value, you have so much value, I've centered the entire creation on you. I've built the entire system on you. I have absolute confidence that you can do it. And by the way, when he says he has absolute confidence that you could do it, he doesn't mean that you'll get ten out of ten. He doesn't mean that you'll be perfect, because that was <coughs> excuse me, that was the job of the angels. He means he has absolute confidence that you and I can do something small, that is nuclear energy, that you and I are capable of making a move that is an incredible, life changing move for the whole world. And that's what we should consider this Rosh Hashanah. We should consider one thing that we're going to do in our lives, and it doesn't necessarily even have to be for the whole of next year. It can be for the first week of next year. We're going to do one thing that shifts us, so that we are more conscious of the purpose for which we're created. And that might just be the last thing, as Maimonides says, that tips the whole world into the space that it needs to be in, and brings us Moshiach now. So I want to wish you, Shana Tova. it should be a good year. It should be a year of revealed blessings. It should be a year of good health. It should be a year of peace of mind. It should be a year of peace in our country and peace in our world. It should be a year of nachos. It should be a year filled with all of the things that we wish for ourselves, but most importantly, the things that we need. And may it, in fact, be a year that we are reunited in Jerusalem with Mashiach. And may that happen even before Rosh comes.